listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Uh, you know, Jeff, I can't help but think that we kind of almost introduce ourselves twice because Floyd does a great job of introducing us and then we come onto the show and we introduce ourselves. Sure. But we know ourselves better than Floyd. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I see yeah. what you did there. <laughs> All right. I have thought about this when editing <laughs> episodes. <in the> <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, well, no, I'm, uh, I think uh, look, today's show should be fun. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm excited just to kind of uh, kick around one of our favorite topics uh, in a slightly different way, potentially. Yeah, so, and yeah. It, you know, and I think the you know the comment about the format of the podcast is relevant because this is a bit of a meta podcast because we're also having a podcaster on the show. Yeah, yeah, but I, I assure listeners that this is not a podcast about podcasting. It is not a Seinfeld so podcast. do not worry about it. <laughs> there will be actionable manufacturing marketing content. Maybe. Yeah. Let's see. I think there is. So joining us today is Joseph Lewin. Joseph is the marketing manager at Cadena's Part Solutions and host of the Strategic Marketer podcast. Welcome to the Cooler Ring, Joseph. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I really am excited for our conversation today. Same. Yeah. Look, Joseph. I mean, uh, uh, I, I'm going to jump jump right into it before we even get you to introduce yourself or Cadena's Part Solutions a bit more. Because Cadena's Part Solutions, I, I believe it, one of your colleagues has already been on our show. Um, but we'll cover that in a minute. Niche versus niche. This is the question of the day. This is the ongoing terrible dad joke that Jeff and I have <laughs> told on this podcast. I don't know how many times, and. You know, as this, you know, can Canadians have to be the most smug population on the planet. Quietly. And, yeah, we're, oh, it's we're terrible. It. Oh, yeah, we'll apologize <laughs> about it. But, yeah, that's just a cover. Uh, anyway, uh, so we always use it as a way of poking a bit of fun at our American friends that y'all typically pronounce it. See what I did there with y'all? Um, y'all typically pronounce it as niche. But you have scientific proof. Yeah, <laughs> how people think this should be done. You have which a is runaway how, successful. Which is how poll. we come. We came to know Joseph actually. Yeah. So there was a LinkedIn poll. Is that correct, Joseph? Yeah, I ran a LinkedIn poll, and it kind of took off. It's one of those things where you know you spend a lot of time crafting thoughtful content and educational content, and you know spend two hours writing a a post, and it gets one like on it, and you're like, okay, well that that's worth my time. And then you take one minute and <laughs> work on a different post and it goes absolutely bananas. It's kind of the, uh, the nature of the beast, I think, of social media. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it, it, it clearly it, hit a nerve. It was a question of import. Nerve. It was a question of import. We have a niche versus niche. Over 8,000 votes, if memory serves. Yeah, over 8,000 8, votes and over 500 comments of people arguing back and forth over what the real pronunciation is. And well, who won? Yeah, so it was very clearly niche one. Yeah, and kind of some background on why I did that. So I use that word uh, in in my podcast and in different um, processes I've created. And I called it niche for a long time. And that's always what I heard growing up. So I kind of thought that was the right way to say it. And then I started hearing people say niche. And at first, I kind of thought that they were just stuck up and, you know, trying to make me feel bad. <laughs> and uh, but then Which I kind of started to. Yeah, that, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, it is true. But then I started to 
go, I don't know. So then I'd use niche sometimes and I'd use niche sometimes. And then once I started the podcast, I was recording and using that word in almost every episode, it, it would come up with different marketing people. And I decided, you know, I need to go to my LinkedIn audience and find out what the common consensus is on it. Cause you go to Google and you look it up and uh, Google says it's niche, but then when you dig into it and you look in any of the dictionaries, it says both. And you're like, okay, well, that wasn't helpful at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's probably um, uh, not only Cana being Canadian, but coming from Canada's only uh, officially bilingual province, uh, the uh, niche uh, pronunciation being French flourishes yeah, a bit more. Yeah, yeah. I just uh, uh, it was, I, so I, I hope I didn't approach it just from the point of view of trying to be stuck up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the things that's really funny though. And and sort of speaks to the way that people process language is, and you know, we could say process there too if we want to be Canadian. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, we'll use niche in conversation with our clients, and they'll actually say niche back. Hmm. So it, it's really interesting. Like they, you know, they're interchangeable in a lot of people's minds, and they hear the word, and it, it you know, I wonder if they're when I say niche, are they hearing niche or? <laughs> Or are they hearing a stuck up? So are they hearing a stuck up Canadian? We won't ever know. <laughs> <One of the laughs> we'll never know. We'll never know. They, they talk about that behind our backs. But oh, uh, in any event, now that we've spent five minutes on on the most important part of the podcast, yeah, well, tell us about yourself. Yeah, well, I uh, been in marketing, I guess, technically for about five or six years. I started out creating co uh, visual content, doing videos and photos, and started a business doing that. And then I've uh, transitioned into working at my current company, Cadena's Part Solutions, a few years ago, two and a half years ago. And uh, there was a huge jump in uh, just a huge learning curve because I'd never been in B2B marketing and I'd never been in industrial marketing, you know, marketing to engineers or marketing to industrial marketers. And we, we kind of have both of those going on. So it was a lot of learning uh, three letter acronyms, you know, CAD, PLM, ERP, <laughs> trying to figure out what all this stuff means and decoding that. Um, so it's been a fun journey and uh, I've definitely been learning a lot and seeing a lot of value in um, in the engineering and manufacturing space. So it's fun to be on a podcast that focuses on that side of things. And then recently I started the Strategic Marketer podcast and I've just been learning about marketing. Uh, one of the most important things is to be connected with other marketers, especially marketers in the same space that you're in. And it really brings a lot of value. So that podcast has been a great way to uh, network with other marketing people and learn from them and then hopefully um, have other people get exposure through the podcast as well. Now, is that is this your personal uh, media vehicle or is it actually a part solutions initiative? Um, no, it's my personal podcast. And um, yeah, I, I mean, basically, I was on LinkedIn reaching out to people really for a couple of years saying, hey, I'd love to get coffee with you if you're local or do a virtual coffee. And for one, it's kind of weird and awkward to do that. <laughs> uh, it was effective. I did meet a lot of people, but it just you know feels a little funny. And then secondly, when I was doing that and getting on virtual coffee with people, I was getting something from you know out of learning from them, and they're getting something learning from me. But then as soon as that hour coffee is done, then most of the time the relationship kind of fizzles out. And then maybe maybe like five out of fifty to seventy people that I've met doing that ended up turning into long-term relationships. But the podcast is great because it lets other people in on our conversation. So it's not just me learning from them and then learning from me, but now it lets other people learn from our conversation as well and then brings exposure to both me and to them at the same time. So it's kind of a way to keep doing what I've been doing for a while, only 
bringing more value, I think, to everybody doing it this way. And asking for an interview is a little less weird than asking for a virtual coffee, maybe. Yeah. Although in the last 18 months, I don't think that that's necessarily the case. Yeah, who <laughs> you know, knows? I think people are probably yeah. more comfortable with that than ever. But I mean, there's no it's question true. that a, uh, you know, a, a piece of co-created content has value to both of you and, and beyond. Indeed. I mean, it's, you know, just gave away our whole strategy. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> yeah. Love it. I'm kind of... I don't want to, I guess, gloss over it too quickly here. Some of our listeners may not have heard the Adam Beck episode. So Kadena's Part Solutions, what do you all do there? And uh, just so we're, we're clear. Yeah, so we have two products. One of them is an engineering software that helps engineers find and reuse CAD models that already exist in their system with 3D shape search and um, just different tools to help them reuse parts. Um, that's kind of a lesser known product, but it's actually pretty cool technology. Um, you can make a napkin sketch of a of a profile of a part and find it in PLM. If anybody in your in your um, in your company has created something like that before, you can find it and reuse it, which has compounding effect of yeah, saving saving costs and tooling costs and everything like that. And then it kind of ties into the other side of our business um, where we create. CAD models of the parts that manufacturers make and and uh, embed those CAD models on your website so engineers can find and download CAD models from you. And it kind of acts as a as a lead magnet. You know, if you're used to marketing and marketing terms, you have something of value on your website that um, people are willing to give their information in exchange for that. Um, and CAD models, engineers are looking for CAD models. They need them. And the more data and information you put into that CAD model, the more value it has to the engineer. And if you communicate about the extra value you have through data, um, you're able to to really add a lot of value to to the engineer and make it easier for your parts to be specced into designs and ultimately purchased. Um, so yeah, that's what we do in a nutshell. Yeah, and that, that extra metadata, I mean, that people are able to add to their models, it, it has to be incredibly useful to the to the right types of people. So you know, if somebody finds that valuable, you're you're really getting into a potential relationship and, and uh, potentially a conversation. You know, or, you're talking to a buyer. Yeah, exactly. Saying, yeah. And and I mean that that's been part of what you've been doing since before you were at Cadenas, and uh, it's kind of what you've brought to them too is really helping to identify, you know, who is that ideal customer and and what do they need and how do you talk to them through the mediums that you have available isn't it yeah yeah that's definitely i, I would call it positioning probably is uh creating finding a niche I'm still catching myself going back and forth <laughs> uh, finding a niche and and you know focusing down on a specific group of people i think you have to have the positioning step as part of that and i think niching is kind of underneath positioning um in other words finding where you can bring value that nobody else can and looking for an area where you can uh, go the extra mile and uh, kind of separate yourself out that way. Because if you don't separate yourself out through something other than other than just your product itself, then you're going to end up being in a commodity situation, especially in manufacturing. I mean, there are a few products that are actually totally unique where the customer isn't going to think of it as there being competition, um, but that's going to be extremely, extremely rare. No matter how much you think that your product is completely unique, your customer might not agree with you, even if 
It is. Man, how how does somebody combat that? Like as a as a manufacturer, you know, thinking that your products are unique, but you're treated as a commodity by your by your buyers. You know what what is it that you know uh, up. You know, obviously this is a marketing podcast, so take a bit of a marketing angle. But what is it that marketers and, and potential and by extension sales teams can do in order to bring that extra value and and uh, and make what otherwise is seen as a as a commodity part or or a, a piece of equipment um, by the customer as something truly unique? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I mean, I think that comes down to the heart of marketing, and it, a lot of manufacturing companies marketing departments, I would call more like a sales plus department. And so they're more of a sales support. And so they're creating documentation and um, going to trade shows and setting up trade show booths and uh, creating brochures. Maybe if they're uh, really advanced, they might do a webinar where they have their sales guy share about you know some topic or something like that. But the heavy focus on sales support or sales enablement it kind of gets you away from what marketing is is really good at long term, which is creating a brand. And I'm in Cincinnati, and we have P and G is based out of here, Procter and Gamble, and they create everything, <laughs> soap, diapers, you know, all these commodity products. And and uh, I've met with a lot of marketing people just because I'm in this area from P and G, and they talk about brand. And I feel like a lot of those marketers lose some of us that are on in a more sales heavy environment because brand becomes this kind of ethereal thing. It's like, Oh, we need to have a brand guide with our colors and, you know, we need to get uh, awareness by putting our uh, billboards up with our logo on it, you know, and it's, it's so far separated from sales that it becomes somewhat meaningless. And unless you're a fortune 100 company, you can't really compete and get that level of brand awareness that some of these companies do. But the challenge is on the flip side where we're at, I feel like we focus a little bit too heavily on sales sometimes and not enough on brand. So with that background, in order to, to move from really sales heavy to, uh, to being able to differentiate yourself, you have to think in terms of what is it that our customers need and what problem are they solving with our product? And then what's a way that we can separate ourselves not based on our product, but on all the like peripheral things that add extra value to our customer, but we're not necessarily charging for. I'm going to try to, I don't know if this makes any sense. So this could be the biggest waste of five minutes on a podcast <laughs> in the history of podcasts. I find that hard to believe. But well, no, okay, so I'm going to talk about the Grateful Dead. So... This is not where I thought that was going. <laughs> well, sure. Uh, but, you know, I think it's Jerry Garcia that has been quoted as saying he didn't want to be the best at what they did. He wanted to be the only, they want to be the only people that did what they did. Hmm. Um, which, okay, so like, you know, the marketer and us can be like, ah, okay, we like that. And we know that there's a, real interesting uniqueness. I mean, even if you're not a Grateful Dead fan and a loyal deadhead kind of thing, you know parts of that uh, uh, that legend, if you will, or that, you know, the mystique around it all. But then the real fact of it, if you actually start listening to the Grateful Dead for very long, 
you'll realize that they have an awful lot of cover tunes. So they're going to be the only people that do what we do. Not just the best, but the only. But they're actually, if you will, starting from the point of view of a commodity. They're starting with a song that's already been, like, they they quite successfully did me and Bobby McGee. A number of other people also did, you, you might recall. Um, so it just, it, it strikes me that like that's, there's a, there's an interesting nuance there about um, when we think about commodity markets and um, manufacturers kind of um, staring down the barrel of selling a commodity that is fundamentally good enough. And then adding that extra layer of how it's delivered in the community the around mystique. that and there's the mystique the, and yeah. There's the, there's the pixie dust that's added yeah. on top that's somehow different. And of course, I mean, when we refer to it like that, that's when every salesperson on the planet is just going to roll their eyes and say, this is why I think this brand business is <laughs> foolish. Yeah. 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 That was that was a nicer PG way of saying it, Jeff. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of rambling there a little bit, and I, when I'm talking no, about some all. of these things, it gets a little you were rambling. a little I mean, challenging. I just to... on five minutes about the Grateful <laughs> Dead, for goodness' sake. <laughs> but yeah, I think the challenge is when you're focusing on sales, it becomes commodity, and then you have to start doing things like cutting your prices or you know selling solely on the features and benefits. But what the customer is buying it for is the value that it brings to them, and so how can you figure out a way to have the same product that you have, but add extra value in ways that don't necessarily cost you a lot more money, but add a lot more value to the customer. And that kind of leads us to the idea of finding a position to hold. So I'm a big fan of the book, Blue Ocean Strategy. And the basic idea is uh, commodities are where everybody knows kind of what to expect. They know the basic idea of the product. And when you go out there and you create a product in that category, there's blood in the water and where there's blood, sharks are going to come. But the area where there's blood in the water and there's sharks is really small in the grand scheme of the ocean. So go out a little further and look somewhere where everybody else isn't uh, you know, going, going after this market. And then you have a blue ocean where you, can, uh, where you can find a lot of business in an area that other people aren't focusing. And that could be delivering exactly the same product, but just changing the way that you communicated about it so that people separate you out automatically from everybody else, not necessarily based on the product itself, but these other peripheral things that so we could call pixie dust. And I would say, you know, some of the things that people think of as brand, like your color scheme, website design, usability, those are all important. And I'm not downplaying those in the overall look and feel of your company establishing a brand. But I think some of these other pieces that are involved in positioning are what make brand branding and brand much more valuable to the sales team. And that's where when somebody thinks about your company, they automatically have trust because they know that you have expertise in this particular area. And that's something that makes it a lot easier for your sales team to actually sell. Are your digital marketing efforts bringing in too many junk leads? Stop wasting time and distracting your sales team. Account-based marketing can help give your marketing strategy the laser focus on qualified buyers that you need to increase your pipeline velocity, close more deals, and grow your business faster. We've created a sample manufacturing ABM plan to help you get started. Download the sample manufacturing ABM plan at bit.ly slash sample ABM. That's bit.ly slash sample ABM.
and I, I think you you have you talk about this from the perspective of you know how do we achieve clear messaging for sales so that they understand how to communicate those things that otherwise they might think are pixie dust but really you know are going to be valuable to communicate the the special qualities or the nicheness of, of your product to your potential customers I, I think you call this your the brand compass is that right yeah yeah so i created a a process a while ago called the brand compass and it helps to um helps companies to think through and align their messaging across their company so that marketing is using the same language that sales is using and they are using the same language as implementation and customer service um, and that way you when you hit the same thing every single time it starts to give people the language that they would use to share about what you do with other people so if we want to get i know the term dark social keeps coming up a lot and especially on linkedin which is what are all the things that are happening that help you to win customers that you can't track and so a conversation that we have offline that's not recorded about you know whatever maybe the value of hubspot or salesforce or something they hubspot and salesforce can't track that conversation that we had and i might say this you know using hubspot has changed my life and it's tripled our business um but hubspot can't track that but there's a ton of value in them giving language to their customers to use to have those conversations and if you aren't even aligning on your own messaging internally how are you expecting your customer to be able to use clear language to recommend you to other people. I really like the, uh, it's interesting because this is becoming something of a, of a trend. It's something that we talk about with our customers. Um, recently recorded a podcast with uh, Sangram Vajray from Terminus talking about his new book about aligning sales, marketing, customer success. He comes at it from a bit mm. of a SaaS angle, but really, you know, you can apply the same thinking to manufacturing and think of customer success as service and, and all of those elements and components. And I mean, this idea of giving voice or, or language to your service people and, you know, the folks who are going in to do installations and, and, you know, the technicians on the ground and the engineers who answer the phone when you call tech support and all of that and giving them the ability to understand that brand language hmm. too is, you know, that, that's, that's new. That's, you know, kind of thinking about things in that way. And that, that has real value and can bring a lot of alignment um, internally to an organization where traditionally we were just trying to get marketing to pass off decent leads to sales. And now we're kind of, you know, trying to get that. I hate to use the word flywheel, but uh, if HubSpot is listening, it's their fault. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, we try to get that um, that idea of, of alignment internally on on how you talk about things and how important that is to absolutely every portion of the business. Absolutely. Yeah. And maybe I can just give a breakdown of maybe we can make it practical. You guys can tell me if, if you want me to go a different direction, but just kind of explaining how you could go about finding that niche in, in a position and what that could look like in a manufacturing setting. I think that'd be great. All right. So if you're a manufacturing company that sells motors and you're trying to sell motors to anybody that needs motors, that's a really tall order to fill. It's almost impossible to to be everything to everybody. And what that takes is it takes a really skilled and well-connected salesperson to sell that kind of product. Or it takes you having the cheapest 
prices of anybody out there. And you're basically then selling on price. And that's a losing strategy because somebody's always going to end up being able to create it cheaper or get it out to the customer faster in the long run. So if you want to get out of that commodity game and you want to have more inbound leads coming in that are buying your products and scaling from the marketing side so that you don't just have everything happening from a few killer salespeople, um, then you have to think in terms of how do we clarify that that messaging. Um, so if I was at a company selling motors and I was going to try to to niche down and, and find a position to fill, um, I wouldn't say you should just start out with coming up with um, with a niche to focus on and then going changing all of your messaging around everything and running at it. I'm more of a crawl, walk, run kind of guy. So what I would do is I would go to the sales team and I would interview everybody on the sales team and start learning what it is that customers are saying. And then I would get on some customer calls and listen in for you know what's going on, um, what some of the common themes are. And then I try to get on with actual customers and interview them and find out what are, what are our best customers? What industry are they in? the people who complain the least, that the deals close the fastest, that pay us on time, um, and what are some of the, the threads that tie those um, those customers together? And then you're gonna start to listen for language that those customers are using. Um, and then you might go interview people from other departments on your team and start learning about what are some of the business objectives outside of my little tiny area that I that I would typically focus on. So talk to people in, and finance or customer service um, and customer service and implementation are also a good place to go to for this kind of information because they're going to hear customer questions or complaints and you know the customer service team might say well yeah the sales team said that we could do x y and z and we get a lot of complaints about that but that's not exactly how it works it's more like this you know and that can help you fine-tune your messaging so then you're going to take all of that information and you're going to start to look for one industry that you can focus on the one that you've kind of narrowed down based on doing that customer research and, and those interviews. And then you're gonna take language that you heard directly from those customers and you're gonna start to, to create some language based on that. Um, and then the other piece of it is, what is something that you can do for that industry that adds a lot of value outside of the motor itself? And so I work at a company where, like we talked about, where we help you provide more metadata on the models that you provide to engineers. So I'm just going to give an example based on that because that's kind of what I understand. Um, so if you're working with a company that, uh, or sorry, if you, if that best customer that you're you're focusing on is in the manufacturing space, so you your motors are then going to go on industrial machinery for packaging. Well, something that's really moving in the industry right now is Industry 4.0, and that's the idea of collecting as much data as you possibly can from the factory floor and then making decisions based on that data. It's much more complicated than that, but <laughs> from a high level. Um, and that's going to allow you to test and do simulations and testing on your on your machines before they ever go out, if you can get that. So if on that motor you add kinematic information and you add uh, RPMs and, and wattage and you know all this metadata in, into that model about how that part's going to work, the engineer can then put that right into their design and run simulations based on that. So that adds a lot of extra value to that engineer that doesn't cost you hardly anything to give to them, but makes a huge difference in their ability to be able to use it. 
And now if your competitor sells the exact same motor, but they only offer that motor in a, in a step file that doesn't have that kind of information, or if they only offer that information in a spec sheet, then um, your, your model is going to be worth more. And you could potentially even sell it for more because for that company that you're, work, that you're working with or you're selling to, that data is worth far more than the value of your motor because they need that information to predict maintenance, downtime and maintenance information and things like that. And if your motor fails and they're able to predict that based on the data you gave them, that saves them millions of dollars down the road. Um, so that's uh, an example of kind of how you could start narrowing down and, and finding a specific niche and then adding value to that exact group of people versus saying we sell to everybody. And talk about meeting your customers where they are. Mm. Well, and I, uh, you know, it's something that a lot of marketers and salespeople have a, a huge um, struggle with is, uh, you know, I've encountered a lot of people that would say exactly what you said a few moments ago. Everybody can use this product. <laughs> Every engineer, any engineer that would talk to us is an engineer that could use this product. And you start trying to narrow down on verticals and Man, I mean, the, the hesitancy is huge, and that's going to limit us. And uh, so, I I, I, I appreciate the uh, um, the description and, and the detail around some different ways to think about that. I.e., you know, it's not that other clients are bad, but maybe which segments have uh, faster sales cycles, which uh, have an ability to maybe buy the most from us. Um, have maybe the largest first time orders. Like there's lots of different ways to carve it up and there's no necessarily one single right way, but but choose one, <laughs> you know, or two and carve it, carve it up accordingly. <clears throat> you, so you can have your niche and eat it too, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think the value... You've been waiting to use that for a while. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think the value, it doesn't necessarily mean your entire company has to shift towards that. And that's kind of what I was saying by crawl, walk, run, is that start with a marketing campaign focused on that group and try it for a month or, you know, maybe a quarter would, would probably be a better length of time to test out language to that audience and focus a lot of your marketing efforts on that audience. And then you're going to learn a lot from that. Maybe you find out this audience actually is horrible. And <laughs> the more we get customers from that side, you know, the less we want to work with them. Or maybe you find out that you're able to actually start charging more for your product to that audience when you add these peripheral things. And data is just one example. I mean, you could offer some kind of a worksheet around that, that, like not just the motor, but how does that motor operate in the larger system? If you can add something that makes their job easier within the whole system and not just your individual part, that's adding value. You know, anything that you can find that kind of makes what you do more valuable to them, it, you know, it, uh, it helps with that. And then the final piece of that is that makes it so that you can start having marketing that isn't just generalized, like, Hey, buy our motor. That's when you can start saying, um, here's how you can cut the amount of time you spend engineering in an industrial machine in the packaging industry by 25%. And then you have experts in engineering excellence come on with you and do a webinar on that topic. Now you're building industry expertise and thought leadership with that core group of people. And then they're going to start to assume that your product is better and that your company is better. 
because you're being associated with other people in their specific niche. So then your marketing becomes more about educating customers on that niche topic that nobody else is focusing on. So if you want to get rid of the noise, you know, everybody says, oh, or not everybody, but a lot of people say people have the attention span of a goldfish. And that's only true if your content is irrelevant or boring or both. And I think most B2B content fits into that. Whereas, you know, I've, we've had content that we've created that's an hour long that when people get into it, they watch 90% of it. And, you know, that that's not two seconds, right? Or my best perform, some of my best performing content on LinkedIn was focused on industry 4.0. And I was writing 3000 words on an, on a LinkedIn post with a five minute video. And those got some of the most of engagement of anything I've gotten, which is totally the opposite of what people will tell you to do on LinkedIn. But it's because nobody else was talking about that topic. And so the more you, you niche, the more you can talk about a topic that other people don't focus on and uh, get away from the noise that's out there. I mean, that that is a great idea, but we did start this off with a three second poll. Um, <laughs> you got the most engagement of anything you've ever done. So, That's true. Uh, you know, which is it? Both. There are exceptions <laughs> that prove rules. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. But I, I, yeah, I love that. It's great. Well, I think, um, I mean, you had said that, that in your um, Strategic Marketer podcast that almost every episode somebody uh, brings up the word uh, niche or niche. Um, and, uh, you know, if you do a, a Google Trends analysis on the use of the word even, um, you'll notice that it has come into a much more prominence over the last while. That's not just in manufacturing marketing, not just in B2B marketing, but it's obviously uh, more broad. And, and, and it's, I think it's obviously largely driven by um, uh, commentary. Or, well, it's just the... As you said about the noise that's ever present in our media environment, and um, that noise is louder than ever before and more dense than ever before, and it's making the requirement for uh, niching down for our American friends um, <laughs> uh, all the more, you know, all the more uh, of a necessity, really. Um, it's a it's a, a, a fascinating uh, dynamic that I think is impacting not just B two B but also you know B two C et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Now is a good opportunity to start doing that because people are going to do it more, and it's going to make it harder for you to sell to general audiences than it is now because those general audiences will have somebody else uh, marketing specifically to them before too long. But the good thing is a lot of people talk about finding a niche and doing it. And very few companies actually do. So you still have, there's still a lot of green field available, a lot of blue ocean <laughs> available by niching if you actually are somebody who who does it and implements it. And in my experience, lots and lots of marketers talk about it, but very few companies actually uh, buy in and go for it. Yeah. I mean, the, the same is can be held true for so many, um, you know, progressive um just, I can't think of the word I was going for here, you know, but I, I, th I well, think there are a lot of ideas out there that are things that, you know, work that people all know is a good idea, but, but it doesn't mean they're the going to do it in the implementation. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I think that's wonderful advice, Joseph. And, yeah. uh, I really appreciate you bringing your perspective to our audience. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. This is fun. Fantastic. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the cooler ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff white. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. 
Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.